Will you pray with me? Father, we know that you are the God who brings life where there is death. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to that truth. Would you speak to us through your word? Would you help us to see Christ? Amen. So I know that this is this is probably truer for me than it is for a lot of you. For example, this is truer for me than it is for Chris. But it is, in general, much more difficult to destroy things than it is to fix them. Definitely true for me, but in general, that's true, right? Easy examples, buildings. Easier to tear down than to destroy. Art, easier to ruin than it is to actually create. The Los Angeles Lakers, easier to destroy than it is to bring them back. If we want to keep going down the basketball trail, Derek Rose's knees. Not Eric Rose, not our friend Eric, but Derek Rose's knees. Now, there are exceptions to this. There are things that seem to grow so fast that you can't destroy them. But pretty much all of those exceptions are bad. So, like, weeds, the bamboo in your yard, fruit flies, feral cat colonies in your neighborhood, (laughs) things that multiply faster than you're able to address them. Those are kind of silly ones, but then there are also the really bigger ones. There are things like trust or reputations or relationships that are much easier to destroy than they are to build back. And there are also things that can be destroyed so badly that you can't build them back. There are things that can be broken beyond repair. There's damage that can be done that can't be undone. If you kind of want to think about the culmination of all those things, death. That's the sort of picture that we see in our Genesis reading. It's the kind of picture that Paul is pointing backwards to in Romans 5. We've got a picture in Genesis of something that's really beautiful. We've got Adam and Eve in the garden, in the presence of God, in a perfect creation, in this place of abundance that God gave to them to sustain them, a place where God would meet with them, a place where they had no shame, I'm going to talk about how much easier it is to tear down something. Through one act of disobedience, that whole picture gets ripped to shreds. Right? So the first tear that we see in that picture is in Adam and Eve themselves. It was at the end of our Genesis reading. It was their shame. Before, they didn't have any reason for shame, before each other or before God. But after one act of disobedience, now they hide. If we were to read through the rest of chapter 3, we would see more. We'd see that this tear in the picture extends to all of creation. God says the ground is going to be hard and thorny. What he's saying is that work is going to become difficult. It's going to become painful. It's going to extend to Adam and Eve's marriage and to their family. God tells Eve, your desire is going to be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. Conflict is coming. He says, Childbirth is going to be painful. You put all those things together and you see that that whole command that God gave them when he made them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, every bit of that command has now been undermined and only by one act of disobedience. And then the worst of it is that it led to their exile. It led to their removal from the presence of God. If you want to sum up this, all of these things in one word, you could use the word death. Death being not just the sort of biological breakdown of your body, but death being sort of a summarizing term for all of these things. 
That's the picture that we have in Genesis. Something incomparably beautiful that has been destroyed. Life that has been marred by death. I think that in a lot of ways, we can look at history as kind of our human attempts to try to put back together that thing that was broken down. Right? So think about the ways that we strive for peace or for justice or the ways that we strive for technological progress, medical progress. You could look at all of these things as our little attempts, our strivings to piece together this beautiful thing that was destroyed. C.S. Lewis calls that drive to do that homesickness. It's us trying to reach back to a home that was lost generations ago. Us responding to these pangs or these echoes of this home that we haven't even known, but that our forefathers lost. But as much as we might want to reclaim that home that got destroyed, I think the clear story of human history is that we can't do it. We're not able to rebuild this thing that we broke And the reason is because we don't have the power of life and death. We've got a sort of twisted picture of that power because we do have a limited sort of power to wield death. We can cause death. Even that thought ought to make us shudder a little bit. Like think about the ways that you see God doing devastating things to Israel's enemies, things that are incredibly powerful we've actually developed the ability to do bigger things than those things that God did to Israel's enemies. That should shake us. We haven't haven't developed greater power than what God has, but we have developed the ability to rock the world in ways that were even greater than what God did to Israel's enemies. Maybe the lone exception is the flood. We can't do that. But we can do incredibly terrible things. But even there, like our ability to wield death only goes so far. We might be able to end a biological life, but we can't make an immortal person suddenly mortal. Our power, even with death, only goes so far. And then even as far as our medical abilities have gone, we haven't come even close to the smallest acts of healing that Jesus did. So for example, we can heal or treat all kinds of problems with the human eye but it's always through treatment or through surgery. And it always has this chance of failure. It will eventually break down. There's always this recovery time. We are not able to heal an eye with a touch the way that Jesus did. And if we're not able to do that, we certainly can't call a dead person out of the grave the way that Jesus did. The reason is because we don't have power over life. Limited ability to wield death Maybe some abilities to manipulate life, but we can't create life where it isn't. We can't heal with a word or with a touch. Because the power of death doesn't belong to us. The power of life and death doesn't belong to us. So I'm making that point kind of dramatically on this really big scale, but like even just narrow it down, the smallest of scales. Think about the places in your own heart or in your life where death has touched you or where death has appeared. Think about the places in your heart where there is sin that you have just never been able to root out, sin that you have not had power over. Think about places in your life where there has been guilt that you have not been able to atone for because you've torn down something that you couldn't rebuild. Think about mistakes that you haven't been able to fix, 
What about relationships that you've never been able to repair? Words you've never been able to unsay? So yeah, God has given us some ability, some leeway to repair even little bits of those things, to even pursue some kinds of reconciliation. But even then, we can't erase hurt that we've caused. We can't erase hurt that we've experienced. We can't keep up with the sins and the hurts and the brokenness that like weeds and feral cats just keep reproducing faster than we can move. That's the picture of the life that we live in. It's a picture of life that's been marred by death. And here we are trying to put the pieces of it back together and trying for generation and generation through our morals or our successes or our progresses or maybe just through the entertainments and the distractions that make it seem like we can be pulled out of this world and into another one for just a second at least. The picture we have is that we can't put that back together. We're fortunate, we're blessed because God has an answer for that. Remember what Paul says, sin entered through the world or entered into the world through one man and through that sin, death. Well, in a sense, it's almost like God's going to play that story backwards because just like sin entered through one man, just like death entered, through one man, Jesus, God is going to undo sin, to undo death. He's going to conquer those things. Just like sin entered through one man, through one man, Jesus, he has brought life. And again, we said this death isn't just biological death. Well, this life that he brings is not just biological life. It would actually be terrible if we lived forever and still had to deal with this sin and with this brokenness. That would not be good news. That would be terrible. But again, if death is the summary word for all those things that have been broken our relationship to the world, our relationship to each other, our relationship to God, even the breakdown of our bodies, then the life that he brings, the life that Paul is talking about in Romans 5, is the resurrection, the restoration of every one of those things. So how's he going to do it? Again, he says, sin entered into humanity through one man and through sin, death. Well, through one man, he's going to undo all of that. Jesus will become human, and as human, he will conquer sin. As a human, he will conquer death so that humanity can be set free from those things. He's even going to go into our exile to lead us back to that home that we had lost, put back that picture that we had torn apart. We actually see this in the temptation story. We see Jesus following the path of exile all the way into the wilderness. We see Jesus following the path of human weakness, 40 days and 40 nights without food and without water, following the weakness of the body all the way to its limits. And we see him in that weakness facing temptation that we can't imagine. So like, we tend to think of Jesus facing temptation like a formality because he's Jesus. And so it must not be that hard. It's different when we face temptation than it is for Jesus. But the other side of that is that Jesus faced a level of temptation that we can't even dream about. Because Satan doesn't need to bring the full arsenal for temptation against us because we just fold. But Jesus withstood temptation all the way to the end, everything that the devil could throw at him, and he did it faithfully. When you think about it, you can see what Satan was trying to avert. Because the things that Jesus offers him, no, no, that's backwards. The things that Satan offers Jesus, I'm going to edit that out. 
The thing that Satan offers Jesus is a kingdom, but without the pain and the suffering of the cross. And you could probably guess why he'd want to do that. Because he knew that this one who would be faithfully obedient through temptation all the way to the point of death would also be able to conquer death. And whatever power Satan has is just an amplified version of the same kind that we have. It's not life and death. It's just a power to wield death. And what Satan saw was the one who would break that power, shatter it, and leave him with nothing. Paul's point in Romans 5 is exactly the thing that Satan had feared. It's that just like through Adam, sin and death entered the world, well, Jesus would bring in life instead. But here's something that is beautiful and what I want us to really wrestle with today. Here's what Paul said. Free gift is not like the trespass. If death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's a lot there, but there's one thing that really stands out. Because as great as the power of death was, the abundance of grace that's poured out is more. What we're talking about is not a reset of the original picture. We're not talking about us being put back into the place of Adam. We're not talking about getting a righteousness from God that we could lose again. We're not talking about a life that we can receive that we could lose again or a relationship with God that we could lose again. We're brought into something that's greater. The restoration of this picture is not just putting the same thing back together, but something that is infinitely more even than what Adam and Eve had. A resurrection life that belongs to Jesus. A righteousness that is sure because it belongs to Jesus. A kingdom that's joined together in Christ, reconciled to each other, where the brokenness that drives us to hurt and abuse and oppress each other is gone. Even a relationship with God that is closer, more intimate than the one that Adam had, because it's Jesus's. Not a life equal to the death that did reign before. Not the Garden of Eden being remade. A whole new heavens and new earth with a God who doesn't visit his people but dwells with them, who lights up their city with the light of his glory. No snake in the garden left to threaten his people. All of their suffering, all of their past redeemed. Out of the wandering of this exile, brokenness of our bodies, fracturing of our relationships with each other, and with God, God has brought forth life that is even greater than all the things that were lost before. Again, eternal life. Not a life like Adam's, but like Jesus's. Communion with God. Not walking with him in the garden, but actually being joined to him. Being brought into his life. The language that the, that the New Testament uses for this is the sort of thing that you would feel like you weren't allowed to say if God didn't say it first. Union with God in Jesus, because we're joined to him. A new home. Again, not the garden where God comes down to visit, but a new Jerusalem where he dwells with us. That's the huge kind of cosmic scope of that, the big picture of that, but now let's bring it even closer. Because if God is taking death in every single one of its forms and out of it bringing forth something that's greater than everything that we had lost, 
that means that the same is true for you right now. In every single place in your life where death has touched, every single place in your heart that death has touched. So think like out of those places where it feels like sin has this permanent residence, like that weed that can't be pulled, just keeps growing. In that place, he's giving you righteousness, promising to cleanse those places even now with a righteousness that, again, is not like Adam's, isn't precarious, isn't on the verge of being lost, a righteousness that actually belongs to Jesus. Think of him again in the wilderness, the kind that has already been tested to the end and already been proved faithful. Think about those places where you're guilty. Again, no longer like Adam and Eve. No need to stand before God or anyone else in shame because he clothes you with Jesus' righteousness. Lifted that guilt off your back. This, and this is important too. We often feel guilty, again, because of the things that we've broken down that can't be built back. Right? Do you feel guilty because of hurt that you've caused or damage you've inflicted? Remember that the promise to bring life from death to restore all things also folds the hurts that we have caused into that. Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension touches all of those things. Or if those waste places in your heart are there because you're aching for relationships that have been lost or damaged or destroyed. If you're anxious because you fear that those breakdowns are coming or just lonely. Right? We feel those things because God didn't make us to be alone. We feel those things because our relationships aren't meant to fracture. But the life that Jesus brings touches those things too. Even the ones that never get pieced back together in this life, remember that in those places of death, he has brought something even greater. Out of the sort of scorched earth of those relationships, he's even bringing something that's more beautiful than that. How? Because he offers you everything that you have ever sought in anyone else. Every bit of affirmation, encouragement, every bit of love, strength, gentleness, hope, approval, friendship. All of those things that we have sought for in other people are things that he offers us in fullness, in union with him. Those desires that we have for those things are not bad desires, but they are also signals in our hearts that are meant to point us toward the one who can actually fulfill them. That's a beautiful thing. That's a promise we can't get our heads around. He's wired us to seek those things in their fullness, in him and nowhere else. Like as an aside, this is a great avenue for us to proclaim the gospel in our world. The world has a hard time, well, it is a little bit obsessed with guilt, but it has a hard time kind of pointing it in the right directions. We have a hard time kind of confronting sin, but here's one where people can't get away from. The breakdown of relationships is painful. Loneliness is painful. We are surrounded by people who are living in profound loneliness, but the promises that God gives to us in this are better news than they can get anywhere else in the world. And then lastly, if you've just felt the coldness or the deadness or the hardness of death in your own heart and longed for something that is better, the promise here is that he is at work in you to bring life to those waste places. He's turning that hard heart into a heart that is alive, not paralyzed by fear anymore, not numbed by pain, not pulled to the side by other things, 
It's a heart that doesn't have competing desires waging war inside you. Can you imagine that kind of peace? A heart that is fully bent on pursuing God because it knows that he alone can satisfy. That's the heart that he promises to work out in us. And so my prayer for us is that today his spirit who fills us will reveal those waste places in our own hearts as places where God promises to bring life out of death. Again, my prayer that God would reveal the places that feel like death. That God would show us that those places are where he will meet us and bring life. Pray that in the word that we hear, in the bread and the wine, that we would be ready to receive that life as he gives it to us anew. It's hard for us to get our heads around the splendor of what he's given, what he offers. If you count everything that has ever hurt, if you count everything that you've ever lost, if you count everything that you've ever grieved, every sin that you've ever committed, every ounce of the world's brokenness that our 24-hour news cycle could fit into your whole life, if you put all of those things together, the promises of life that are given to us in Jesus dwarf all of that. It's stunning. All the death that we have ever come into contact with is just a drop in the ocean compared to the life that's given in Jesus. Because he is, again, the God who brings life out of death. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.